Uh, we're going to continue this week uh, in our uh, series, The Best Sermon Ever, uh, The Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we, we we're looking at uh, the next... Oh, it's a nine-week series, and we're going to be looking at uh, different parts of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the, survey, the scripture that we're using in our series is in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 7:28, 28, uh, out of the Message Bible. I really like this version. It says, when Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. Amen. That'd be great. And every preaching and everybody claps for you after you're done. Amen. That'd be encouraging. <laughs> but the crowd burst into applause. Don't do that tonight. Amen. Praise the Lord. They have never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything that he was saying. It says as they were listening to Jesus speak and as he was teaching there, it says that they understood that he was living the very words that he's speaking. Everything he taught was something that he lived. He wasn't just saying, oh, just do this. But he wasn't doing it himself. But he was actually living it. Quite to a contrast to their religious teachers, those that were teaching them a religion, this was the best teaching that they ever heard. They said that the Sermon on the Mount was the greatest sermon ever. I read a uh, quote by Oswald Chambers, and he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount here, and he says, Beware of placing our Lord as teacher first instead of Savior. That tendency is prevalent today, and it's a, a dangerous tendency. We must know him first as Savior before his teaching can have meaning for us, or before it can have any meaning over than the idea which leads to despair. If Jesus is a teacher only, then all he could do is tantalize us by raising a standard that we cannot come anywhere near. He says, but by being born again from above, we know him first as Savior. We know that he did not come to teach us only, he came to make us what he teaches we should be. It kind of goes in line to what they were saying earlier, that Jesus was living what he was speaking. And it says here, Oswald Chambers says here, that he came to make us uh, what he was teaching, that what we should be. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we live when the Holy Spirit is having his way with us. Manny, Brother Manny uh, started last week with the Beatitudes, uh, giving us uh, insight on you know, how Jesus teaches his father, uh, followers uh, uh, what, what it is to live a blessed life. As Jesus began to speak that even though you're going through this, you're blessed because this is going to happen. And we looked at that last week. Tonight I want to look at the topic that we entitled, uh, Made to Make a Difference. So I want to pick up where Brother Manny left off. As he left off in the Beatitudes, I want to look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. Jesus is speaking here, he says, you are the salt of the earth. He says, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you, can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light for everyone to see in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth, but we are also the light of the world. Charles Spurgeon says that we here as the salt of the earth are to be a blessing to the world. We are here to glorify Christ in our daily life. We are here as workers for him and workers together with him. Jesus is telling us here in, 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 in this in this, or in this teaching of being the salt of the earth, the light of the world, that we should be a blessing to the world. That we don't just blend in and be bland, but he's talking about being the salt of the earth. Because when you think about salt, salt adds flavor. I remember growing up, uh, we had someone in our house, I won't say her name, but we called her mom. You know, as soon as she got her plate, 
So you get the salt and you just like, da, 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 da. Then you taste it. You just salted up everything. How many are like that? Amen. How many people are like that? Because salt gives flavor. It, makes, it enhances the flavor. It makes things, you know, uh, taste better. And Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth. And as we grow in our relationship with him, as we grow, uh, you know, by getting closer to him through our devotions, through our praying, our reading, our attending service, our, our service to him, it brings out the very best in us because we're living a life that brings glory to him. And he says to be that salt, to allow, you know, the, the teaching and, and everything that you're learning, that you begin to apply it, that you can, that you're, you, you can apply that and, and you become the salt where others can see your life. See, when we're, when we saw to the earth, we're no longer making the bad decisions we used to make in our lives. Because when we made bad, bad decisions before Christ, you know, it lead us to our troubles, you know, our addictions, maybe we had addictions, a lot of pain in our lives, you know, uh, trying so many things that basically just left us unsatisfied. There was no flavor. It was tasteless. Psalms tells us in Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. All oh, the joys that take refuge in him. See, we have tasted and seen that the, that the Lord is good. You know, because we're filled now with the Holy Ghost in our lives during our time of devotion as we go before the throne of grace. He's directing us. He's teaching us to make better decisions for our lives. Why? So that we can be the salt of the earth. See, what happens is our life becomes evident to others. We become that salt of the earth. You know, the goodness, the, the, the love of Jesus that, that begins to grow and begins to show through us. And we become a godly influence to those that are others. We begin to point others to God. We should never have to advertise that I'm a Christian. You know, we should never say, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. We should never have to advertise that fact. I remember one time, me and, and George Atalano, we used to work together at a water district. And one time we were checking, uh, checking some lines in front of this house, and this elderly lady came out. Real, I mean, she's probably in her late 70s, early 80s. She comes out, and she's asking us, hey, you know what? I had a plumber come by, and he tells me that I need this, this uh, certain part right here in my, in my, you know, to, to my house. It's a, uh, a regulator on my house. And we're like, no, you don't need that. Your, your house is fine. You don't, you don't need that. And she tells us this, but he said he's a Christian. I'm like, Wow. Not everybody says, Lord, Lord, is going to make it, amen? But I felt bad because he's telling people, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, trying to get business. We should never have to advertise that fact. People should look at us and look at the way we're living and look at the decisions we're making and say, you know what, that is a man, that is a woman of God. They have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We should never have to walk around saying, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. No, it should be evident in our lives. People can look and say, man, there's something different about that guy. There's something different. I do that. I'll see somebody, I'll say, wow, I think they're born again. I think they're a Christian. I think they're a believer because of the way they act, the, the things they say. Even just by the way they talk, they'll, they'll bring out certain words. And you say, wow, you know, that's something you would get out of the Bible. First thing I want to look at is the best example ever. Jesus was a servant. We see in Philippians chapter 2. In verse 5, it says that in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. He says, who was being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in the human likeness, and being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on the cross. Paul's telling us to have that same mindset that Jesus did. He didn't consider himself equal with God, but he emptied himself. He emptied himself all of his rights and, and all that, 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 you know, his, his rights that he had here, and he said that he took on the nature of a servant. 
He became a servant and he humbled himself and he was obedient to the Father that he would give his life on the cross. See, if you really look at him, you could look at Jesus as truly the example of being the salt of the earth. In John chapter 13, we see the story here of Jesus. In verse 1, it says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew his hour to leave was at hand and that he would return to the Father. But he says, it says this, he loved his disciples during his ministry here on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. In verse 4, it says, so he got up from the table, he took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Here we see a picture of Jesus being a servant as he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. We look in, I was looking up some of the different things in the feet washing. It says feet washing was a necessary custom during this time period. When there was gatherings where people would get together to, to eat a meal, he says that the men would come in with their feet all dirty and dusty from walking on the dirt, the dirt roads. So what they do is they would have to have their feet clean because they would sit on low tables. And it wasn't good to have the, the, the food so close to dirty feet. So what they did is they made a custom where they would wash the feet as they came in. But they said that the washing of feet would be done by the lowliest of servants in that household. We would call that the new guy, amen? And those who do construction, let the new guy do it. It says the lowliest servants in that household would do the washing of the feet. The peers wouldn't wash each other's feet. But here we find the king of kings, the lord of lords, the son of God, performing this great act of humility, modeling to us what a servant is. Think about it. If Jesus were to walk in and say, here, I'm going to wash your feet right now, you'd be like, no, Lord, no, you don't have to wash my feet. You're the Lord. You're the king. And this is exactly the mindset that Peter had. Peter said in verse 8, no, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Jesus goes on to explain to Peter, I'm doing something here. Someday you'll understand what I'm doing, but if I don't wash your feet, you do not belong to me. I'm doing something here, Peter. Jesus was giving him an example. And in verse 14 in the same chapter, he says, And since I, your Lord, lets them know I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. He says, I'm giving you an example. Do as I've done to you. We see how Jesus has given his example for us to follow. He says, I, I, you know, I, I want you to serve one another. Be a servant to other, but be a servant to, you know, to each other, but also to others. He says, do the same to each other. You know, humble yourself. Be a servant. You know, I'm your teacher. I'm your, your Lord, and yet I'm washing your feet. Go and do the same. There's a commercial, and then you think about washing feet. There's a commercial that just grosses me out. My wife always makes fun of me when it comes on. It's that new, uh, uh, I guess it's like a deodorant for women. It's called Lumi. Man, that thing grosses me out because the lady's there and she's like, okay. And she starts talking about all the parts of the body you put it on, right? I'm like, oh. And then she picks up her feet and shows her feet. And then you're, I'm like, oh, man, that's so gross. <laughs> Tina always makes fun. Why do you get so gross? I go, God, she's got to show her feet. That's gross. But Jesus was teaching them to serve one another, to help each other, to serve others also. He tells them in verse 16, verily, I truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He's telling you, you're not greater than me. And here, I'm giving you an example to serve people, to serve others. We can get that attitude. Oh, that's not in my job description. You know, I don't, I don't have, you know, I have title. You know, I have clout. I got a business card. You know, I, I don't have to do that. 
you know, I've been here longer. That's below me. And the old, let somebody else do it. But Jesus modeled what it was to serve others by doing something that was designated for the lowest of servants in those households. He washed someone else's feet. And I'm sure he's there washing the feet, and they're probably got bunions and blisters, big old toenails that they haven't clipped. I don't know if athletes' feet was around, and I'm sure their feet smelt. So think about it. But Jesus modeled what it is to be a servant, that he humbled himself, and he said, look, I'm giving you an example of service to one another. I'm giving you an example of, of, of putting others first, that I would wash your feet. He tells, and he tells us, he gives an example, and I'll go and serve and help others. He goes, now do the same. Go do the same to others. I thank God for those that serve here in the house of the Lord, doing things that some maybe think they're below them, you know. Some people think, ah, I'm not going to do that. But I thank God for those that say, you know what, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to follow his example. I'm going to serve in the house of the Lord. You know, thank God for our ushers here that, you know, take care of God's house. Amen. <laughs> Out there, there's brothers in the parking lot. When I was an usher, she loved working in the parking lot. Remember, Pastor Ed, we'd be out there in the parking lot. What were we doing? Pastor Reg, we were casting vision on each other. What city are you praying for? What, you know, we're, what's God going to do in your lives? That's what was happening in the parking lot. Man we, were, man, we were just having revival in the parking lot. Thank God for our ushers that take care of our house. All those that work with our children's ministries, you know, that you know, take, care, you know, they take care of our kids in the classrooms out here on Wednesday nights. And I know I'm going to forget some, and, and please don't, but these are the ones God put on my heart to, to just mention. I thank God for all our ministries in the church, but I, I, I don't got time to name everyone, but these are the ones that God just put on my heart. Our worship team that just, you know, because everybody thinks they just come up here, grab a mic, and start singing. That's what everybody thinks. Nobody knows that they're all here all day Saturday morning practicing, preparing for service getting here before service on a Sunday morning, getting here before service on a Wednesday night to prepare for service. But they're serving. Everybody thinks, oh, they just come up and sing and just play drums and they, they got it good. Everybody gets to look at them. No, there's a lot of work involved. But it's called being a servant. Those up in the balcony up there, amen. I see you guys, amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord, amen. Praise God. Make me sound good. Try to make me look good, amen. Praise the Lord. That won't happen. Praise God. <laughs> Those that do the video, I mean, again, it's work. They're here early. They're, they're serving. They're preparing. The men's home, amen. I thank God for you guys, amen, doing what, you know, again, people don't see the work that they do in the house of the Lord. I come sometimes Friday night or Saturday mornings to, to set up the classroom for the, for the sensory room, and they're here laboring, not complaining, but laboring unto the Lord. There's so many ministries here that God, God uses people to serve that people say, no, that's not below me. I'll do it. I'll serve. Look at Jesus. Jesus washed the feet. I want to serve. One of the ministries that really came to my heart, because it had a big impact when I first got saved, was our nurseries. When I first got saved, I mean, the, the nursery really had an impact on my life, because they're in there taking care of our babies, you know, and I asked Tina to, to ask Yvette if they change diapers. She says, yeah, they do change the baby's diapers, amen. And, and I thought about that a couple of months ago, Nobody was home. My wife was at work. Everybody was gone. And my daughter-in-law called and asked if I can watch my granddaughter because she had to go take my grandson. Uh, I think it was he had a cast and he had to have his cast removed. 
And so she asked me if I could just watch him for a couple hours. I'm thinking, okay, yeah, a couple hours would be good. Um, you know, we'll have some cereal in the morning, and then we'll watch Bluey, you know, and, and, and everybody knows Bluey. Everybody knows I got that song by heart, amen. I could sing it for you right now if we wanted to. <laughs> Bluey's cool. But we're sitting there, and it's like, you know, she drops her off, and, you know, get ready to cereal, and getting ready to put Bluey on, and all of a sudden, Grandpa, poop. I'm like, oh, God. So I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe if I let it go for a couple hours, you know. <laughs> Hopefully she won't get rash, amen. But it was bad, amen. She had an explosion, amen. And she was wearing pull-ups, right? And I'm like, I don't want to do this. I'm like, Tina, I don't do diapers. And that's not because I just, because I don't feel comfortable with the girls. And, but she had an explosion. And she had pull-ups, See, the problem with pull-ups, you got to pull them down. And, pull, and everything just was everywhere. So I thank you for those that are in our nurseries changing diapers, amen. Because a lot of people won't do that. People say, oh, I'm not going to work nursery because I don't want to change diapers. Jesus washed people's feet. And the reason I bring up the nursery is because when I first got saved, I shared last month my son Matthew, or I forgot, I wasn't supposed to say his name. My son, he had health issues, and what it was, I shared he had a paralyzed vocal cord, so they had to put a trach. What it is is a tube right here in his throat where he can breathe out of because his vocal cord is blocking his windpipe. So he'd breathe out of that, that, that trach, but what it was with that trach is phlegm would build up in the tube. So what we would have to do is we'd have to, we had a suction machine. What you did is you stuck a catheter inside his, his tube and you would suck it out with a, va- it's like a vacuum. And you have to do it periodically. So when I first got saved, you know, we were, you know, careful with them. And we're like, well, um, you know, Tina will come, you know, one, one service. Because we were Wednesday, Friday, and twice on Sunday services. So she would come, you know, one service, I'd come the next, service the next. But what happened when I first got saved, God touched me. God touched me, man. And I wanted to be here every service. I was like, man, I'm missing out when I'm not there. There was no YouTube back then, amen? You come to service, oh, it was great the other night. So Tina asked, you know what, can we let Matthew stay in the nursery? I know he's got some special needs, um, but you just, if we need anything, we just call us. And they're like, sure. And they brought him in, and they just loved him. And that had an impact on my life because I was able to be here every service. And it began to launch me into my destiny. See, salt gives flavor, but salt also preserves. See, when we, you know, because they said in the days that when people would catch fish or have meat, they would cover it with salt to preserve it, to keep it fresh, so it wouldn't decay right away. See, when we're serving others, we're being that salt that preserves people, that keeps them in the house of the Lord. That when they're here, that we're serving them, that they can be in the house of God, that God could touch their lives, that God could minister to them, that they would begin to serve others also. See, salt also preserves and it keeps people. In John 13, 17, Jesus tells them, now, after he gave them and instructed them, he's now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. As you begin to serve others, as you begin to do exactly as I taught you and, explained, and, and, been, and gave you that example, as you do these, God will bless you. We see the story in, in, in Mark chapter 10 of the, the young man that came to Jesus and he asked him, Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? Mark chapter 10. And Jesus told him, you know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't testify falsely, don't cheat anyone. 
Honor your mother and your father. And he says, I've obeyed all these commandments. Jesus looked at him with love and he said, but there's still one thing you haven't done. He says, go sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And says, a man's fell face and went away sad because he had many possessions. Jesus told him, go and sell all you have and help others. Give it to the poor, help others. Give everything you've got. And he says, then you could come and follow me. You come follow me, but it says that he got sad. He said, nah, can't do that. And he walked away. See, there's gonna be times where God is gonna require us to give of our time, our resources to help others. Not only here in the house of the Lord, but outside the house. It says that the young man went away sad because he felt like Jesus was just asking too much of him. There's gonna be times that God's gonna ask us to help somebody, to, to be a blessing to somebody, to serve somebody. And we're gonna walk away all sad saying, no, that, you're asking too much, Lord. That, that person's just gonna take too much of my time. In Luke chapter 10, it says, the Lord came to Jesus asking about eternal life. He says, who are my neighbors? And Jesus began to tell him the story of the, of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus replied, a Jewish man was traveling to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. It says they stripped him, they robbed him, took his clothes and left him on the side of the road for dead. It says a priest came by. A priest, a man of God came by. And he says, but when he saw the man there, he crossed over to the other side and he just passed him by. Said a temple assistant walked over and looked at him, lying there, even acknowledged and looked at him. But he said, yeah, he just walked away, passed upon him. But he says, then a despised Samaritan. Remember, the Jews despised the Samaritans. And here's a Jewish man and a Samaritan comes along. And when he saw the man, he had compassion for him. He says he cleaned up his wounds, he bandaged him up, he put him on his donkey, and he took him to an inn. He took care of him. And when he left, he left money with the innkeeper. He says, look, take care of this man. And if it costs any more, when I come back, I'll take care of it. Jesus asked the man, which of these do you feel is a neighbor? And he says, the man who showed mercy. And Jesus says, yes, now go do the same. In this story, Jesus is telling of this Samaritan man who helped someone he didn't even know. This was a man that he didn't even know. He was a Jewish man. He knew that the Jews despised the Samaritans. And, and, and he says that he, 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 even the religious leaders just walked by him and passed him by. But this Samaritan saw someone who had a need and he took care of him. He served him. He helped him. When it comes to serving and helping others, do we only find ourselves wanting to help those that we're close to? You know, people that we feel comfortable with, those that are, you know, we'll go the extra mile for our inner circle. But other, you know, we'll see others and we'll just pass them by. Oh, someone else can help them. I got to take care of my own. Got to take care of my own. You know, they're not like us. He's not like us. You know, I just don't have time. It's our favorite line is I just don't have time. Jesus says to do the same as this Samaritan man did to all that God brings us to help. Because again, he's gonna bring people into our lives that we don't even know that God is gonna say, I want you to serve them. I want you to minister. I want you to help them. Are we gonna just say, nah, you know, I'm gonna walk by them and let somebody else deal with them. Let somebody else take care of them because I just don't have the time. There's this, there's this I, I just, when I was thinking, of, when I was going through this, this, this uh, it was a movie, but it was like a testimony, a focus on the family. It was back probably about 30 years ago, 25 years ago. And I looked it up and I found it on YouTube. So write this down and look it up because this is a great story. It's, it's called A Man Called Norman. 
And what it is, it's a man who, who, who moves into a neighborhood, and he has a neighbor that just, you know, he doesn't want to deal with, but God deals with him. Because this was a man who was made fun of, that people would mock, and, you know, he, he just, you know, he, he could tell he had special needs. But God dealt with them to help this man. So if you have time, it's not, I found it on YouTube. It's called A Man Called Norman. And that's kind of a side thing, but just, it's a great story. But in Matthew 25, Jesus says, Come to me, you blessed of my father. Get your inheritance. When I was hungry, when I was thirsty, a stranger, needed clothes, or was sick in prison, you took care of me. And they asked him, when do we take care of you? And the king will reply, truly, truly. I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Those you didn't even know, the ones that God brought to you, the people that were looked down on, Jesus says, you were doing it unto me. When God brings people into our lives to serve, we're doing it unto God. The second thing is Jesus was an example of love. Before the Passover celebration in John chapter 13 and verse 1, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had, been, had come to leave the world and return to his father. And it says he had loved his disciples. I read that earlier, but he loved his disciples during his ministry here on earth, and he loved them to the very end. See, prior to the washing of the feet, it tells us that Jesus, his love for the disciples. And in verse, chapter 13, verse 44, after Jesus washes their feet, begins to, you know, tell, you got to read chapter 13, there's a lot of good information there, but in verse 34, he says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. He says, love each other just as I loved you. You should love each other. He's telling them, let that love be seasoned with salt. You know, and Jesus tell him, love like I loved you. Because I feel in the time and day that we live in that that, that word love has just lost its flavor. Because it gets thrown around so much. You know, it's just like, oh, love you, bro, love you, sis. You know, love you, love you, love you. You know, the phones and, you know, love, you know, you'll send a text. I don't have iPhone, but um, those that have iPhones, you know, it's like you'll send a text message and, and you'll get the response, love it, love it, love it, love it. And we say love, love, love so much that I think the word love has lost its true meaning. Jesus says love each other like I loved you unconditionally. The love that Jesus had for us, not just, oh, I love you, bro, I love you, sis, but not really meaning it. That Jesus says, love, you, love each other like I loved you, which was unconditionally. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 35 says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? You know, you know, he's talking about, you know, while we're going through trials, we're going through all persecution, we're going through hunger and all these things, does that mean God doesn't love us? Maybe God doesn't love us anymore. We're going through trials, but he says, no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And, my, and I am convinced, I'm convinced that there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from his love. Neither death nor life, nor, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love that God has real, revealed in us through Christ Jesus our Lord. 
we got to really get back to the true understanding of what love is. Because I, I really believe people just, I oh, love you, love you, love you, love you. But deep down, we don't really understand what love is. When we grasp how much Jesus loves us, it will motivate us to help us serve and help others to people that we don't even know. In verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You're being, by being the salt of the earth. When you begin to love one another, people will know that you are men and women of God. You are brothers and sisters in the Lord. You are disciples of Jesus Christ. Read a quote, it says, we used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of, of another race or country. Now because Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. It's that Christ-like love that changes the way we think and act with people. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus speaking here says, but, I, but to you who are listening, I say love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. What? Love your enemies? Pray for those that persecute you? But Jesus is saying this is love that you would love your enemies. And it's like, my God, you're going deep here, Jesus. You're really, really asking a lot of me. But Jesus says, you gotta love your enemies. Do to others as you would have them do to you. As you want people to treat you, treat them the same. If you love those who love you, what's credit? What credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. It's like, oh yeah, you love all the ones that love you. You know, what, what's, even the sinners do that. They even love the ones that love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you also? Even sinners do the same thing, doing good to others that are doing the good to you. Hey, you take care of me, I'll take care of you. But it says love your enemies. Take care of those and bless those. It says even sinners do that. He says, but love your enemies. Do good to them and lend them without expecting to get anything back. It's like, hey, can I borrow five bucks? No, now it's, now it's 50 bucks. It ain't five no more. <laughs> five, five dollar days are gone, amen. It's 50 bucks. And it's like, okay, and you lend it to them and say, they don't give it back. And we're so mad. We're so angry, so bitter. We, we hold a grudge. Jesus says, when you lend, don't expect it, get it back. I remember one time a guy at work, he, he told me that. And I was like, wow. He goes, yeah, some guy asked me to borrow some money. And he says, I just, here, just keep it. Just keep it. Don't worry about giving it back. That's what Jesus said. Don't expect anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be the children of the Most High, because he's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. He says, be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. We're going to look at it, because Jesus says you're the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it loses its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Talking about being tasteless. One man wrote, uh, it was a, uh, D.L. Moody, he says, some men's religion just repels me. He says, some men's religion just angers me. They put on a whiny voice and sort of religious tone. They talk as if morally better than others on Sunday. That you would think that they're wonderful saints. He says, the ones that really bug me, they come in and they talk all spiritual, they're dressed all nice on Sunday. He says, and you think that they're the greatest of saints, but on Monday, they are quite different. They put their religion away with their clothes and you don't see them anymore until next Sunday. 
Moody's talking about conduct, how we act, how we treat people, how we conduct ourselves. He says this is what irks him that, you know, Sunday we're praising the Lord, but the rest of the week, you know, we're being tasteless. We have no flavor. There's a story I read of a kid. Tina gave me this story. It says they were driving home from church. The parents and this young kid was in the car, and he just kept crying and crying and crying on their way home. And the dad finally said, what's wrong with you? What are you crying about? And he says, well, the pastor prayed that we would all be raised with Christians. He says, okay, what's wrong? He goes, but I still want to live with mommy. <laughs> Does our family look at us like that? As salt that has become tasteless because of the way we act, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we treat people. Have we become tasteless in our walk with God that people, you know, like you, 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 when you advertise, I'm a Christian. You, you're Christian? Come on, really? The way you act? Come on. I was, uh, in, I was reading some studies on salt. It says made up from the chemical sodium chloride. And it says it's naturally impossible for salt to lose its flavor. When it's 100% pure, it is impossible for it to lose its flavor. So that's why when Jesus said, when it loses its flavor, but I looked and it says there's, two, there's a couple of ways that it can lose its flavor. And I'm, I'm going to only focus on one tonight. The first one is contamination, being contaminated, allowing things to come into our lives. But the second one that I want to focus on tonight is another way that, that salt can lose its flavor is through exposure to moisture or water that begins to dilute it. The world today is trying to dilute moral standards. The world today is trying to dilute the word of God. The world today is trying to, to get us to, to just, you know, uh, lower what we believe in and what our standards are. In 2 Timothy 1, I'm sorry, 3, 1, he says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. And you can look at it as, a, as something that's going on today. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful and holy without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of God, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceit, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. That covers so many things. It says they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. He says have nothing to do with such people. These are people that are calling evil good and good evil. It's so sad today, and I mentioned this before, to see so many ministries that have allowed the world to dictate, dictate their beliefs and their standards. They're beginning to be given to the pressures of the world to do what's popular, to begin to start affirming certain lifestyles, accepting the mindsets of the world that are going against the word of God. And what they're doing is they're watering down the very word of God. And that salt has become tasteless that they were once held, you know, they, they, they look at the word one, at one time that they really held it as truly the inspired word of God. But now, just to stay popular, they're beginning to lose their flavor. And I'm sure they love God. I'm sure, you know, they, they really love God, but there's a big difference between loving God and living for God. I wasn't saved and I loved God. Before I got saved, I was religious, I loved God. But I wasn't living for God. And I was making bad decisions for my life, which I had to reap. In Revelation chapter 3, 
in verse 1. It says, a message straight from the Lord to the church of Sardis. He says, I know your reputation as a live and active church. Jesus speaking, he says, I know your reputation. Everybody thinks you're a live and active church. You know, you're popular. Everybody knows your name. You guys are cool and hip. Everybody thinks you're on fire. You got this huge following. He says, I heard, I, I know the reputation as a live church. He says, but you are dead. He's talking about the church spiritually. He says, now wake up. Wake up and strengthen what little remains. For even what is left is at the point of death. Your church is on life support. Your church is on life support. He says, your deeds are far from right in the sight of God. What you're doing is not right with God. The things you're allowing, the things you've allowed to come in, the things that you're affirming, it's not right with God in the sight of God. And this is what he tells them. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Go back to the very truths that you once believed and held true. Go back to the very word of God and, and, and get back. He says, hold firmly to it and turn to me again. He's telling them to repent. He says, unless you do, I'll come suddenly upon you like an unexpected as a thief, and I will punish you. Jesus is speaking firmly here, and he's telling them, look, I know everybody thinks you guys are great. You know, you got this huge following. You're, you got everything going on. He goes, but you're a dead church, and what's little that's left is dying. I thank God that we're not going to dilute the word of God here in our house. You know, we're not going to start doing what's popular. We're not going to cave to the pressure of the world's view. We're not going to lower our standards of what God expects to us. Because if we get away from the truth, what we're doing is we're leading people astray. And we're leading them to destruction. And we'll, be, we'll, we'll become a dead church. And God says, I'll punish that. Second Timothy chapter 4, preach the word of God. He says, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people, he says, with good teaching. He says, do it with good teaching, because time has come when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers. They're going to look for teachers that will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. People are going to start running around looking for those that have watered down the word of God, that have allowed their ministry to become tasteless and lost their flavor. In Acts 20, verse 19, Paul's speaking here, and he says, I have done the Lord's work humbly with many tears. He says, I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. There was pressure upon me. They were pressuring me. They were trying to keep me from preaching. They were probably trying to keep, get him to lower what he believed to go back to the law. He says, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. I never watered down the word of God. He says, either publicly or in your homes. He says, I had one message for the Jews and the Greeks alike. I had the same message for everyone and the same message for us today. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I didn't water it down. I spoke the truth. There was opposition. I was being pressured. Uh, you know, people were telling me, you know, stop what you're doing. But he says, I didn't give in. I didn't bow to the pressure. I told you what you needed to hear, that you need to repent. You need to turn to God, and you need to have faith in Jesus. The last thing I want to look at is 
what I called gut check time. Gut check time. The phrase having guts is to have enough courage, quality, it's the quality of being brave and to be determined. And Jesus calls us the light of the world. He says, let our deeds uh, shine for everyone to see, that they would see the Jesus in us and they would glorify God. He says, let your light shine. But see, the devil tries to bring intimidation, tries to bring fear to keep us silent. He says, people don't take a basket and cover their lamp. And this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants us to take a basket, cover our light of Jesus, to keep people in darkness. John chapter 12, verse 42, many people did believe in him. He says, including some of the Jewish leaders, they said they were believing in Jesus. He says, many people believed, even the, some of the Jewish leaders, he says, but they wouldn't admit it for fear of the Pharisees that they would expel them from the synagogue. They didn't want to admit that they believed in Jesus because of the fear of being excommunicated, of being put out. We read last month, John chapter 9, of the blind man that was healed. And it says they went to his parents to ask him, you know, was it, you know how, who healed your son? And it says that they didn't want to tell because of fear of being put out of the synagogue. You see Peter denying Jesus three times as he's there amongst people. Hey, you were with Jesus. That wasn't me. Jesus says, you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. So we get threatened to remain silent because most of the time it's going to cost you. If you stand up and you take a stand, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your job. It's going to cost you relationships with people. It's going to cost you the position you have. You know, don't take a stand. Don't share your faith. Just don't do anything or don't say anything. Just go with the flow. Don't make any waves. Just sit there and, expect, and, and accept it. So we live in a time that we really need to stand. And, and, and when I talk about gut check, it's you know, having that courage to stand, especially when it comes to our children or our grandchildren. There's such an assault on our next generation, and we need to fight for our children and our grandchildren. I mean, the world's trying to confuse them, trying to confuse them. You, you know, you, you don't, you know, you're, you could be whatever you want. The world's trying to confuse them, trying to get them to turn away from God. Oh, you don't want to be like those Christians. They're so judgmental. They're so, you know, they're so hard on people. You know, they don't know love after we understand Jesus tells us to love as he loved, but oh, they don't know how to love people. And then the biggest lie is that you don't need your parents' consent. You can do whatever you want. And this is a lie of the world that they're trying to take our kids away from us trying to get us to, to, to just give in and say, well, I don't want to make any waves. I don't want to disrupt anything. I'm just going to go with the flow. We got to stand for our kids because God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. He's given us power, love, and self-discipline. Never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, Paul. He says, even though I'm in prison for him, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. So we need to have that courage, that boldness to stand. A lot of people know I'm a huge fan of college football. Me and Tina and my son Matt, we're just huge college football fans. We like pros, but college football is our thing. We just fell in love with college football. Matt, my son, got us into college football. And, you know, when college football season comes around, it's like the greatest thing, you know. It's like, all right, we're ready. 
So Saturdays, we'll, we'll sit and we'll watch some games. And, you know, we usually root for the underdogs. Whoever's the underdog, we always root for them. I was going to say, I won't say nothing. Amen. Praise the Lord. Don't want to offend anybody. We usually root for the underdogs. But there's one team that I really started following. It was the Clemson Tigers. Their, their, their coach is just, he's a man of God. His name's Dabo Sweeney. And what he is, is he, he came in and took over a program that was always, like, almost there. Almost there. They would get to a certain point. And then they, they had this phrase that was called Clemsoning. And what it was is they would have the game that you win this game and you're going to go to your, your, your conference finals. And they would always lose that game. They would always lose and they would always use the phrase Clemsoning. So when he took over the team, he began to change things. He began to, to bring, you know, just a whole new uh, way about that team. And so in 2015, there was a big game against uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame was heavily favored. And what it was is he... he uh, they ended up winning that game. You know, he, 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 uh, they won that game, and what it was, it caused them to turn the corner in their, in their program. If anybody follows Clemson, they've already, in the last couple of years, they've won a couple of national championships. They've been in a few champi- more championship games. But he motivated him. He, 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 he was a, he's a great motivator, but he's also a man of God. And I don't know if you had that video. I, I, it was, they got it, okay. It's, it's right after the Notre Dame game. And you don't have to you show it real quick, it's a real quick short video, but pay attention to what he says. Well, man, I'm just so proud of our team, you know, that's what it's all about. You know, it ain't always perfect, but what I told him tonight was, listen, we give you scholarships, we give you, uh, you know, stipends and meals and a place to live, we give you nice uniforms, I can't give you guts, and I can't give you heart, and tonight, Hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart, and they never quit till the last play. And thank you to the good Lord and my dad who was with me tonight. So what he's telling him is, you know, in the video, he's telling me, you know what? I told my team, he goes, it was a tough game. He goes, I told my team, we give you scholarships. We give you stipends. We give you meals. We'll give you a place to live. We give you nice uniforms. He says, but I can't give you guts. And I can't give you heart. He says, tonight, it's BYOG. Bring your own guts. And what it is is that they did. They, they, they won that game. They ended up with victory. But it also turned their program around that night. Because he says, bring your own guts. You know, it, it's just something that comes that you're just going to have to fight through. You're going to have to stand against the mighty, you know, uh, Notre Dame uh, the team. And it says that they defeated in that game. Tonight, as I'm here, as he kind of gleaned from what he says, I'm here to tell you that we can give you great services. We can give you great worship. We can give you timely preaching. We can give you blessed children's ministries. We can give you encouraging home groups. We can give you good fellowship, but we can't give you boldness and we can't give you heart. We can lead you to the one who can give it to you. And it only comes from God the Father through the Holy Spirit. The worship team can come up. It's going to take courage. It's going to take boldness to stand in the day we're living in. And we just don't say, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just go with the flow. I don't want to have to make any waves. But say, no, I'm going to stand for what's right. I'm going to stand against the lies of the devil and not allow these things to happen in my child's school or, you know, wherever it is that they may be. In Acts 4, verse 29, it's Peter and John were released, they were facing opposition, they were released and they come back with the people and they begin to pray and this is their prayer. As they're praying, he says, and now, O Lord, hear the threats and give us 
your servants great boldness in preaching your word. He asked him, Lord, as they're praying, Lord, give us your boldness in preaching your word because there's some great opposition. He says, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Remember I talked about Peter who denied Jesus three times. As he was being pressured, hey, you were with him. No, you were with three times he denied Jesus. But now it says that they preached the word of God with boldness. That Peter, the one who denied Jesus, is now preaching with so much boldness. We live in a time where God is telling us that we have to let our light shine with boldness to proclaim the love of God and salvation through Jesus Christ. Because again, the world wants us to, to just be ashamed and hide ourselves and put our light under a basket. Say, no, I'm not gonna put my light under a basket because Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God through, that brings salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and then to the Gentile. God wants us to have that boldness, that courage to stand, to be able to say, you know what? I'm gonna be a light with boldness. See, we were made to make a difference by being the salt of the earth in the light of the world. You know, will we lead others to Christ by the example that we're following, that Jesus left for us, of being a servant, you know, showing the example of love, of having that boldness to stand for what is right, not watering down the gospel. Let us be that light. Let us be that salt. Let's bow our heads tonight. We're going to pray.